following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. As I get started here, I want to pass out some, um, some pipe cleaners, you know, sermon pipe cleaners, the usual. Um, just kidding, There's not, this doesn't happen every time, but I would like everybody to take two pipe cleaners, okay? Let's do like, um, and there's multiple colors here, you can take those maybe that way, right, thank you. And I'll start here, and if they don't get to you, if you don't get enough to get to for everybody, I think there's a lot left, so I may have just split them wrong, but I'll explain that later. <coughs> Um, uh, I don't know about you, but this this week has really affected me. I feel like I've said this so many times recently. We've had a lot of bad weeks this year. Um, and just the the, the events uh, of this week have left me feeling, and I realized this during the first service, that my primary emotion here is anger. I just feel angry at what has happened in our country this uh, past week. And I do feel sadness and grief, um, but I I realized during that uh, social justice prayer in the first service that that that's really been just kind of exhibiting itself primarily for me as anger. And I think that may be true for some of you as well. And, you know, what the... What the saints of the church tell us, particularly those who have experienced great suffering, is that uh, it's not that anger is invalid or inappropriate, but that if you are left with only your anger uh, and you don't um, kind of put that into the container of a contemplative life and into a life of prayer, that the anger will burn you up and burn you out. And what I realize is that's what's been happening to me. You know, you, you can ask my family, I've probably been a little bit short-fused lately and um, I realized that the, this righteous anger, which when channeled correctly could hopefully direct me to, to taking actions that might improve the world, has mostly been like burning up my goodness. <laughs> um, and that's, I think, because I've, I've let go of my, um, uh, my habit, such as it is, of, of contemplative prayer. And so... I. I offer that to you in case you are in the same boat. I don't know that you are. I know that some of you probably are. But what my commitment is to myself and to you is, is that I'm going to regain that this week in some form or another. I'm going to revisit that commitment to contemplative prayer each day. And um, maybe it's something that you would do with me, if you, especially if you're feeling that, that anger starting to burn you up a little bit. Because you... You just kind of get frayed and start to feel like you're spinning out and you, you just you don't know who to direct your anger at anymore and you're just kind of upset. And um, So I have a, a pastoral prayer that I wrote before I came to that realization, fair, uh, fair warning. Um, I think it still works. I'd like to pray um, uh, for you and with you and on your behalf uh, about the events of this past week. Would you join me in prayer? God of mercy, today we pray for those who have lost their lives to acts of domestic terrorism and racial violence. For the victims of a racially motivated shooting in Jeffersontown, Kentucky, we pray, comfort those who grieve. Be the God of love in a community torn apart by hatred. 
and bring true justice to the perpetrator of this terrible act. For those who lost their lives in the Tree of Life Congregation Synagogue in Pittsburgh, we pray, God, will you sit in mourning with this devastated community. May your presence with them be very real and very close, and may your love protect them from further acts of anti-Semitism and violence. Forgive us, O God, for our own complicity in perpetuating a culture of white supremacy. Forgive us for believing in the myth of redemptive violence. Forgive us for remaining silent when family members, friends, politicians, and co-workers stoke the fires of hatred. Forgive us for making things worse when we do choose to speak. God, conform us into the image and likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, whose only law was love, whose life and death were the embodiment of love, and who saves us and the whole world through his love. Strengthen us and embolden us, we pray that we may carry this love with us wherever we go, bringing it into our workplaces, our schools, our families, into our voting booths and town hall meetings and our public policy, even into our houses of worship where we still get so much wrong. May we be so consumed by your love that it overflows to others wherever we are. Grant, O God, that your holy and life-giving spirit may so move every human heart that barriers which divide us may crumble, suspicions disappear, and hatreds cease. That our divisions being healed, we may live in justice and peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I also wanted to read a passage of scripture from the prophet Isaiah. I thought that this would be a good place to turn given that the, uh, a big part of the week's violence was focused toward our Jewish friends and neighbors. This is Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of, marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. And the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. May we see glimpses of that in our time. You know, that text that I just read actually comes from the lectionary passages that are assigned for today. It always amazes me how the words of Scripture, just taken from a table that was 
set up years and years ago can speak so incisively and directly to what's happening in the world around us. Um, in this case, we're actually using texts that are from Thursday, which is kind of a weird thing. Um, we're, we're using this text for All Saints Day, uh, which is usually observed on November 1st. Sometimes it's observed on the Sunday after, but we moved it to the Sunday before for reasons um, that you don't care about. Uh, But for whatever reason, this text came to us on this week with this particular type of violence um, against these spiritual relatives, you know. Sometimes I think of them as siblings or cousins or ancestors, Um, But they're a comfort uh, to me and provide hope to me and I hope to you as well. So we are observing All Saints Sunday this week. All Saints Day is a day when the church celebrates all saints. <laughs> right? It's very complicated. Stay with me. <laughs> the way this works is that um, some saints have a special day just for them. Right? Uh, the, the feast day of St. Patrick right, is what? March... 17th, right? We all celebrate that with very holy activities, don't we? Um, There's a feast day for lots of different saints, but there's so many saints that you can't have one, uh, each one of them have their own day because you run out of days in the year. So there's a day for all saints. It's kind of like President's Day, you know. Um, We just put them all together and, and celebrate them there. Also called All Hallows Day, um, the eve of which... Is Halloween evening, or if you use the poetic form, Ian. So Halloween, Halloween is the night before All Saints Day. And you'll see where some of our observances uh, come from when you know that the Christian people used to get together with like, and have these religious costume parties, which I know sounds very exciting and fun. <laughs> <laughs> And you just you want to tell your friends that you're going to a religious costume party. But some of them would dress up as the saints of the church. And others of them would dress up as evil spirits. And they would reenact this kind of cosmic spiritual battle. It was like a, a medieval Christian LARPing party. Right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now we give out candy, which makes a lot more sense to me. <laughs> And by the way, we do, we do neighborhood trick-or-treating. It's going to be a Wednesday right here. What time does it start? Get here at 5.30. Bring a few bucks for pizza if you want to go trick-or-treating with your kids, if you have them. Or if you just want to hang out with the artists and kids, which is it's a hoot. These neighborhoods are very good for that. Um, we do that every year. We've been doing that for a long time. But that's Halloween. That's All Hallows' Eve. That's the day before All Saints' Day. All Saints' Day, which we're observing today, seven days or, or uh, five days early, is... Um, what we're here to talk about today. And the funny thing about saints is that we all have different ways of defining who is one, don't we? You know, some of you uh, grew up in the Roman Catholic Church or maybe still attend one on occasion. And in the Roman Catholic Church, a saint is very specifically someone who has attained heaven. And because there's that kind of middle doctrine of purgatory in there somewhere, that's, that's actually more special than it might seem to us Protestants who just think like you die and you're, you're there with Jesus. Um, but Protestants don't have that kind of whole setup, so we just think of the saints as like the, the really great people, right? Uh, somebody this morning said, like, I love All Saints Day because it reminds me of my grandmother, who was the greatest saint in my life, and I thought that was a really beautiful sentiment. 
But whatever our definition may be, whether we have this formalized kind of canonization process that the Roman Catholic Church has, or whether it's just, I think of my grandma, or anything in between, we all agree that a saint is someone who has done amazing things in the world, or someone who's extremely holy, right? We could go with that generalized definition and everybody could buy into that. And of course, saints have what? They have halos, right? So if you would be so kind, if you have your pipe cleaners, you're going to put them together, twist them together and make a circle like, like mine right here. And this, this is going to be your, your halo, okay? Can you picture me with a halo? <laughs> you didn't have to answer quite so quickly. But you could hold it up to your own head and make yourself uh, a saint. Or maybe if you, if you feel like that's a bridge too far, you could hold it up to the person next to you, just put it behind their head and, and kind of size them up and say, are you a saint? You know, the halo, or um, as Dave told me after the first service, the nimbus is the art term for this. Uh, the halo shows up in sacred art throughout history. And I have a, a great example of this that I want to show to you. And so we're going to put this on the screen, and maybe we'll put this on like Facebook or something too. But this is a mosaic that shows um, uh, on the left Theodora Episcopa, right? And, and uh, she has some saints next to her. So next to her are uh, saints Praxedus and Pudentiana, and then in the middle is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, Theodora Episcopa, you can see that inscription um, right above her head there? Um, that is Greek for uh, Theodora Bishop. But... Um, the, the ending on the word is a feminine ending. And so you can see somebody much later tried to scratch it out and tried to uh, erase the fact that there had been a female bishop because we know that we can't have female bishops. It's, it's since been determined. So whatever that mosaic meant, it must not have meant that. So let's just, let's just help people understand the truth and scratch that right out. Um, but that's a sermon for another day. <laughs> and you can see, as I said, she's with some saints. So you can see the halos in the picture. How many halos are in the picture, kids? Three, you might think it's three, but it's actually four. There are three circular halos and one square halo. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, that is a rectangle. (laughs) It's square like the royal square. It's like, um, it's squared. It's a squared halo, (laughs) meaning that it has... um, right angles in it. You should take geometry. (laughs) Here's a 99 in geometry right now. Um, So a square halo was used in sacred art to indicate people who were living saints. The other saints had died and gone on and made it to heaven, or whatever the version of, of that that they used to determine a saint in those days was. And so they had circular halos. But Theodora was just a living saint. She was on her way. And so her halo, you know, a circle is a perfect shape with no angularity, no bends, no points, right? It's eternal, it's, it's perfect. Whereas when it's squared, it's kind of pointy. It's not quite so soft. It hasn't quite been brought to its finished form. And so a square halo is for somebody who's a work in progress. So you know what I'm going to ask you to do now, right? Some of you have already done it. I'm going to ask you to, to, to make your halo. I'm going to ask you to square your halo. 
to make it into a square or a rectangle, whatever you'd like. And as you do that, I want to read one of the other texts from the lectionary for All Saints Day. Can I do that while you square your halo? This is from the book of Revelation. In fact, it's not only the last book of the Bible, but it's the second to last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 6. This is uh, John's vision of the end of all things. It's the apocalypse, the revealing of the end. And here's what he says at the end. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them, they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the A and the Z, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. I love this passage from Revelation. It's one of my favorite places in the whole Bible to turn. Because what do we think of when we think of the apocalypse? The the book of Revelation, we think of this dramatic, confusing, violent end of the world. Right? Fire and brimstone and... All that kind of stuff. But here's the end of the story. The end of the end of the story. You have God wiping away every tear. And not a God who comes and burns the earth down, but a God who recreates the heavens and the earth, who gives us a new holy city, a new world, where everybody is God's person, and every people group is God's people. That's the picture of the end that John gives us. And, and we twist it into this, this bizarre, violent, dramatic thing. It's dramatic, all right. In weeks like this, it sure seems bizarre. But one thing it's not is violent. And did you notice how close some of those words were to the words from the prophet Isaiah that I read at the beginning of my sermon today? So you have this ancient prophetic writing from Isaiah, thousands of years old. You have this, to us also ancient, but not as ancient, vision from John of things that are in the future. Who knows how many years or centuries or millennia in the future. Sometimes the the cry of the church is, is, okay, now would be great. Come, Lord Jesus. But this future vision which fulfills the ancient image is what we stand in the middle of. We, we find ourselves in this tensioned place between the vision that Isaiah even had long before the time of Jesus 
And the vision that John had of what happens when Jesus returns and makes all things new and all things right and good. And in the middle, we have a post-resurrection, but still not completed, existence. You've heard me use the the nerdy theological phrasing of already slash not yet. You've heard that. If you've been around Artisan for very long, it's one of my things that I come back to. That moment of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus has already happened. The conquest of Satan, sin, and death is, uh, it happened. And yet it has not come to its fullest fruition and to its completion in the whole world. And we are left in that in-between space, which how many people like to be in an in-between space? How many people would say, I just love it when things are not finished yet, when, when uh, the, the beauty that's promised to us is not really here yet for us to experience, when the peace that's promised to us is, is not mine to see or experience yet? Don't we just love being in that in-between space? No, we don't. We hate it. It gives us weeks like the week we had this week, where we are... Um, just beside ourselves and confused and, and bewildered at how the world could be the way it is. And returning to those scriptures from our past and from our future can be one part of experiencing some healing in the midst of a week like this. But the other thing that we have to remember is that some other people exist in that in-between space between Isaiah and Isaiah's vision and John and John's vision. It's not just Jesus there. We're all there too. And we're there experiencing the pain of it, but we are also there because we are supposed to be part of making that future thing a reality, of pulling that future a little bit closer to the present. That's part of our job as people of Christian faith, as people who place our hope and trust in the risen Christ and in the redemption that's been promised to us. We must be part of making that reality um, come to be reality sooner rather than later. And so, take a look at your squared up halo. Maybe like mine, it's kind of bent and looking weird. It's far from perfect. But it's there. And I want you to take it with you this week. It's silly. I know it's silly. But I want you to take it with you. Put it on your bathroom mirror or by your bedside or next to the coffee maker (laughs) so you'll see it when you're in your hour of greatest need. (laughs) And I want you to remember that even though your halo isn't perfectly circular, that someday it will be, and that even though the world is not completely uh, redeemed and repaired, someday it will be. And and in that in-between time and in that in-between space, you just got to put your halo on and get to work. Let's pray. God, on a week like this, when the stories from the news have broken our spirits, we are grateful for words of comfort from Scripture, even though it is hard to accept them and believe them. May they be true for us. May we get glimmers of peace and hope and joy and justice. 
And then, Lord, help us not just to, to sit complacently with that, but to take up our cross and follow you, the suffering servant who is our Savior. Help us to turn our suffering into service. Help us to see the suffering around us and to treat it with service and love in this way, following the example of your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, I invite you to come as we sing our last couple of songs and experience the brokenness of Christ. This is what we do every week when we hear the word proclaimed. Come and receive the grace and mercy on offer in this sacramental form on the table of the Lord. It's an open table at Artisan, meaning you don't have to be a member here to partake. You simply have to be um, seeking to follow into this uh, beauty and truth in the way of Jesus. And so if you come up through these two middle aisles and come to the table, take a piece of bread, dip it in one of the cups, um, you can take it right there at the table and then return to your seats from the outer aisles. Take the bread and remember Christ's body which is broken for you. Dip it in the wine or the juice and remember his blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. And may it be food for your hungry, weary souls and an act of unity with each other and Christians around the world and throughout time. And may it be truly the real presence, the body and blood of the Savior Jesus. Our table's open. Come if you will. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.